Hi, everyone, and welcome back to uh, Instructions Needed, because life didn't come with any. Um, we have a new panel, and we have some new dilemmas. There are people out there that need advice, because they're not pretty unsure if they're getting the right advice, or they just have no one to ask about their dilemma. And today's panel is Jenny Lee, Janessa Finley, and Michelle, and I'm probably going to butcher your last name. Well, I'm totally. sorry. It's totally fine. <laughs> Velikanis? Velikanis? It was close. It's Velikanis. So it was close. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. Again, I'm, I, mean, I have like, meet a lot of people and I butcher a lot of last names. So I'm very okay. sorry. That's okay. You were one of the closer ones. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me start with Jenny. You are a life coach with. Uh, and you have a focus on building uh, resilience in women by creating joyful morning routines. And you have, you are or or were a teacher for 20 years? I still am a teacher you, for you still 21 are. years. Oh. How did you get into the whole uh, life coaching thing? Like you've been doing teaching for 20 years and then... Yeah, they're all really similar, right? coaching, teaching, um, most of it is really, oh, we talked about empathizing earlier and then give them some solution. Oh. And um, my life journey uh, really kind of, well, it feels like it put me to this position right now where, um, you know, all these experiences of my being dark night of the soul and um, got me figure out how to be happier. Um, and I came up with a method and here I am now helping other women, um, you know, on this path of, uh, finding their own way to empower themselves through morning routines that are happy and joyful. And that's always yeah. the point, um, being joyful. Exactly. With the, like having a great morning routine always makes the rest of the day easier. Unless you have two very small kids that wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. <laughs> Mm, I can we'll attest to that. that. <laughs> <laughs> Our next panelist is Janessa. She is an empowerment coach and certified in, uh, what was it, energy psychology with areas of expertise in healing relationships, addiction, and injury from criminal justice system. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. I went from supervising felons to marrying one, and it's a story that is not what most people think. I spent 20 years, two decades in the criminal justice field. And when my significant other was investigated and entered into a plea agreement based upon some bad advice, <laughs> it changed our lives forever. So it was the biggest challenge. Um, at the same time, I was also working on the side of the relationship coach. And so it really clarified my personal path, my skills, my credibility, and what I have to offer people. My question is, what is your personal opinion about the criminal justice system here in the U.S.? I know it's a big question, but uh, if, you, if you can compound it in a way, what is your own opinion with the own experience that you have? I think that it is a very sad travesty of a system, unfortunately. And having worked um, in parts of the system that I do feel as though truly wanted and did rehabilitate those who were ready for it 
having worked in drug court and programs like that, there are some good programs within the system. However, overall, the stats alone show that 20% of incarcerated individuals are there innocently. And I think that stat alone speaks for itself. I completely, uh, I'm actually more or less in agreement with you. Um, my personal opinion is it seems like the system is focused on um, on getting the thing done quickly instead of actually doing it right the first time. Completely agree. Uh, our last panelist is Michelle. Michelle was a family law attorney uh, representing domestic violence and sexual assault survivors. But now... She is a founder and executive director of the Carletta Louise Tisdale Foundation. Could you tell us a little about that foundation? Oh, um, Michelle, you're, you're, I think you're muted. I did mute myself, sorry. Um, okay. It's the Colette Louise Tisdale Foundation. Um, and uh, really, my my daughter died at nine days old. Um, after I had been hospitalized uh, during her pregnancy with preeclampsia and after she spent nine days in the NICU. And um, it really kind of just one of those moments and those defining moments that kind of did, just changes everything. Um, and throughout the whole process, I had thought a lot about the financial impact and felt really blessed and lucky that um, I could be on, in the hospital for three weeks and I could be there every day at the NICU. Um, and I knew that was definitely not the common thing for most parents and I could see that and so um, really I just wanted something that provides financial support for families um, and that's what we do so across the nation across the U.S. we provide fa uh, financial support for families um, who are in crisis because of um, a high-risk pregnancy or pregnancy complications um, a NICU stay or loss and that's everything from miscarriage up to about um, infant death of about one year and um, it's just been huge how we've seen what an impact it's made. And um, it allows me to keep Klet's name and memory alive. So, hey, thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for actually having such a foundation. Thank like, you. It's, I've, it's very few times that I have people on that have their own uh, uh, work like this. Uh, you're actually the first. Uh, I want to say thank you for what you're doing, not just for you, but for everyone else that you're helping. And that goes for all of you here on the panel, because I can see everyone here is trying to help everyone in some way or another. And that's why you guys have the new A team of panelists, because that's why I need you guys. There are some people out here that need advice. And I can give you the title of the first dilemma. My wife and I haven't or have been together for 14 years and married for three years. We are best friends, but she hates having sex with me and no longer wants a kid. Very long title, uh, but let's dive into it, okay? I've been in a relationship with my wife for 14 years. I love her and she loves me as well, but after all of these years, the, Romans, the romance sorry, is gone and I don't see any way of getting it back. Two years ago, my mother asked her about grandchildren, and it caused a crisis that she has never recovered from. Um, at the latest, 
count. Uh, it's been five months since we've had sex. Since that uh, comment two years ago, we probably had sex less than a dozen times. Seven or eight years ago, um, I complained about her weight and asked her to focus more on her health. She claims that she never got over that and now finds it disgusting to have sex with me because she can't believe that I find her attractive. Due to the comment I made uh, about uh, weight all those years ago, well, before we decided to get married, um, she now denies ever saying that she found sex with me revolting. But she did. I was there and the words were burned into me and now I know how she feels. Now, whenever we have sex, it's obvious that she's just trying to get it over with. It's obvious that she isn't enjoying it or even making an effort to enjoy it. Uh, I can't get that comment out of my head. And frankly, I don't want to have sex with someone who doesn't enjoy having sex with me. It's not fun and it doesn't feel right. Even when she initiates it, uh, it it would be different if she made an effort to enjoy sex, but she doesn't let me touch her anymore. She doesn't kiss me anymore. She just gets the job done and calls it a day or half a year. The second issue is that I want to have kids. She doesn't want to have kids, even though prior to getting married, we agreed that we would try for one child. And obviously, without having sex, we can't have a kid. This is almost the biggest issue. I want a kid. That was the plan. That's what we agreed uh, to before we got married. This all being said, we get along great in every other as uh, in every other respect and aspect. Um, we are also uh, intertwined in every way possible, financial, financial, and otherwise. We are best friends, but maybe that's all there is that is left in our lives. Um, I don't want to live a life without sex and I also want a kid and I'm getting extremely depressed about the situation and I don't know what to do I don't see how this is going to resolve without changing everything else in my life that I do find enjoyable but I'm getting very depressed about this catch-22 that I'm in I've told her that this is getting me super depressed and she's mentioned it again since or she hasn't sorry she hasn't mentioned it again since it's like she wants uh to ignore the issue completely and meanwhile i'm just getting more and more depressed as time goes on does anyone have uh, any advice that might help what options do i have We've been together for uh, a third of my life, and I don't want to lose her. I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose the life we built. How can this relationship be saved? 
does she even realize that it's so in peril? I was going to say, who wants to start? Um, I, I would love to jump in. <laughs> Michelle, you're yeah. the first to go in, so, so here we go. I, I mean, first, I think above all is, I, I think they need to get their assets to couples therapy of some sort, um, because there's a lot going on here and a lot of issues that they really need somebody um, to kind of be like that mediator and to get them talking and figure out what's really important. Um, I will say, I mean... Yes, sex is a very big part of every relationship, for sure. Um, but it's not going to be sex the same way that it was, you know, in the beginning of a relationship. It's never going to be, you know, it, over time you get to a point where it's not as common. Um, but it sounds like this is really not great. Um, and I thought it was interesting that he talks about the comment she made about sex being repulsive with him. And then sort of felt like there was some judgment over her not forgetting the comment about her weight um and i'm like you guys are both dealing with something right you're both are hanging on to this thing and that's obviously affecting your um you know your relationship and your desire to have a physical relationship so i think they really need to you know do some couples therapy really think about it i'd be curious to see what it is that has changed her perspective on kids um you know i mean there's a lot that happens and so sort of speaking as a lost mom, and I will actually say, you know, um, after my daughter, we we have a almost three-year-old now, um, and we use a gestational carrier because I finally had to come to terms with I was terrified to be pregnant. Um, and so, you know, those are those kinds of things where like, what has been happening that she's been seeing in friends' experiences? Um, you know, does she feel comfortable in her own body enough to put it through a pregnancy? Um, I mean, those like... You know, there's very few things I think are like make or break it deal breakers in relationships and kids or no kids is the deal breaker. And so I think a little bit more investigating on what it is and is there a workaround um, or not? And yeah. Janessa. Yeah, I love what Michelle there, has shared. Yeah, there I, was one thing I, I, I saw in here maybe that might be a little more. Like there is some promises that were given to him especially when it comes to having a child and that is she's withdrawn that even though she promised this before they were married could you say that actually is a deal breaker i know a couple of couples who have chosen to part ways because one wanted kids and the others other did not and so for them to both be satisfied with what they wanted in life it meant that that union of marriage was no longer going to be supportive of that. Um, and also they're all much happier living the lives they're living now. So that was one, one comment I had about this is from the picture that's been painted, friendship is friendship. So the person writing in is concerned about losing the relationship, but if it's not an intimate relationship, it sounds like you have a friendship and your friendship could remain. What is it that you have to lose? by choosing to find someone who wants to have a child with you. That's one thing to think about. And only the person writing in can really decide what do they want. And they need to get very clear on that and decide what is it that I most value? Is it parenthood? Is it this relationship? Really getting to the root of what is going to make you the most happy in life. And then the other real big point here that I'm hearing is communication. 
And intimacy, lack of intimacy is never about lack of intimacy. It's about feeling comfortable with one another. It's about several things. And most always that gets rooted back into communication. And simply the question being posed of does she even know that this relationship is in the condition that it's in, something to that effect, shows that there's not much communication happening between these two about things that really, really matter at the core of the relationship. And so they need to focus on communication if they want to truly dig in to being committed to one another in a fulfilling way that is going to last long term. And through that communication, then hopefully they can sort out their values and priorities. And I love this topic merely because when my now husband and I met, he did not want to get married. And to me, it was not a priority at the time. And what we heard each other say, we believed at the time we were on the same page. But then we were together for three plus years and marriage became a priority to me. And he never wanted to get married. So we had to work through that process of what does that look like for us? And I truly thought the day that I went to him and said, you know what? I really love you and I really want to spend the rest of my life with you. But more than you, I want to be married and to my soul, be successful in a marriage. And that is something I value so deeply that whether it's with you or someone else, that is, you know, something that I prioritize in life. And so I want to honor giving you some space to sort through that and see what you want to do. Like, just because I want it doesn't mean I want you to want it. I don't want to change you. I'm not here to change the person I'm with. I'm here to honor whatever makes them happy. And in the end, he chose that whatever made me happy made him happy. And very interestingly, as we went through the investigation and that whole process, the value of marriage escalated for him that he too said, even if I did not marry you someday, I do want to be married. And so our values ended up meeting. We did not start there. So I also don't want to say just throw in the towel, but it's going to take some communication to sort through it all. Jenny, wise words from from your two panelists, co-panelists. Oh, yeah. I, I love what Janessa said. Um, communication is definitely key. Just about a year and a half or probably two years before my former husband and I got a divorce, I really disliked the idea of having sex with him. It felt more like a chore. But because of the way that I was raised, I was raised in this traditional Chinese family where women's body is made for the pleasure of their husbands, basically. You know, that's the culture that I grew up in. And so sex was more like um, an obligation. It's a chore for me. And I mean, I used to like sex. Uh, it used to be so much fun. And um, uh, but at that point, as a mother, uh, my son was born and I hadn't been sleeping enough and I was tired all the time. Um, and it was also hurting my um, time with um, my ex-husband. We didn't talk much. There was a lack of communication in many, uh, many aspects, really. Um, and so romance just, you know, kind of eroded from our relationship. Um, and there was actually more friction uh, than communication or connection. 
And that really um, affected, you know, even my sexual appetite because I realized that um, in order for me to be um, uh, like energetic sexually, I need to be emotionally nourished too, <laughs> right? Um, but at that point, I just wasn't. Um, and so I kind of went with it for a year and a half for two years and just, uh, but honestly, I did not enjoy any of that. Um, and, uh, at the, at some point I just felt, yeah, this is really not working anymore because I feel that when I have sex with you, I'm violating my body. And I feel like you're violating my body. Um, and But there's also another factor that was contributing to it because um, I was so tired. I wasn't taking care of myself and I felt overweight. Um, I wasn't comfortable in my body. And I didn't ha have a good relationship with myself because at that point, um, I, was, I just found myself so confrontational. I kind of lost most of my friends. I, um, I just wasn't happy. Um, and so there's that. And so in that emotional state, really, sex is the last thing that I want to be involved in, you know, um, because there's so I, because I was so disconnected from my own self, from my own self-worth. Um, yeah. And so that uh, kind of ended up, you know, ended in um, a divorce. But um, interestingly, um, after that, I got into another relationship, like, you know, everything was new and I, um, I seemed to um, get connected with a different aspect of myself and I was revived again on the sexual aspect. So I don't know if it's just like, you know, if it's like a new person that, you know, was able to bring up that uh, side of me, that sexual side of me. Um, but I also think that at that point, because I had, um, some time apart from the marriage, you know, from all the situation that was depleting me, I, I was in this new situation where I could, again, connect, reconnected with myself and, um, a lot of aspects of me was revived and I suddenly became human again <laughs> and, then uh, the sex kind of, you know, automatically uh, got, you know, turned on. Um, and so, yeah, I think there are two things here um, that, that I find really, um, really um, influential um, when it comes to sexual relationship is definitely how I feel about myself when I feel good about myself, when I feel attractive, when I feel sexy and I feel connected, then sex is just like a byproduct of it. And I feel comfortable having sex, right? Um, and the second part is um, the communication. When, um, when I have an open communication, you know, that is smooth and, you know, we could laugh together and I could um, talk about anything with this person and I could, um, open my heart and just be open, um, with, with this person, sex would only just like, yeah, it would just come naturally too. Yeah. Right. Um, 
yeah, I can only think about those those two things. So maybe those are the two things that need uh, reevaluating the relationship with yourself and how open and how comfortable you are with your partner. So, yeah. Could we maybe talk about that this is something that's like in any relationship, anything starts on high. Like it has a starting date as any other relationship. It's fun. Everything is like going nuts in all aspects of life. Um, is it because it maybe has reached its expiration date? Is that what we're talking about? Because usually when intimacy goes from a high and to a low and becomes, I wouldn't say scheduled as this is, but more of a, there is a, a, a vast amount of time between them having sex or not. Isn't it usually because one of the parties or the party that's holding back is getting the intimacy some somewhere else than the relationship that they're in. I mean, I think that's one possibility, but I also think that like there is less need. I mean, we we like we tend to say intimacy and we all think of sex, right? But there's so much more to intimacy than sex. And so I would be curious to see where that is at in this relationship. I can't imagine with everything else going on that there's a lot of intimacy outside of sex you know sex isn't happening i don't think there's much outside of sex um so it could be that somebody is getting their intimacy elsewhere and whether that is sex or just um communication and intimacy that way um i think that that's definitely like a possibility um it can also just be that this is not working for them you know at the right time um you know i think we all go through different stages of our lives um, you know, in relationships and whether it be within the same relationship, kind of ups and downs, um, or, um, or whether it be from one relationship to the next, I think that it's just peaks and valleys. And it sounds like they're just not at the same place and they're not even in the same ballpark. And so I think they need to just like talk through all of that and, you know, really focus on that. Um, and if I will say if sex and intimacy is gone already, if a kid comes into the picture, it's really going to take a hit already, <laughs> even at the healthiest levels. So um, I think it's really important that if that is the way that they are, are headed, that they're solving the, those issues now because kids will definitely, you know, mess that up. Um, and also, like, we don't know if they've not been trying to have a child. Um, you know, my husband and I dealt with infertility and I mean, talk about a hit to a really, you know, I mean, we have a really good, you know, strong marriage. We were friends before we started dating, like all of that and talk about the hit you take to it where it's really hard, um, to deal with that stuff. And so, um, you know, I would also just say, I think those things need to be dealt with first and then, you know, looking at, you know, is this something we could bring a child into if they're both on the same page with that or not? Yeah, because I'm like, there is, it sounds like more or less that there is, that expiration date is coming up. Um, isn't it also naturally occurring that once, like they've been together for 14 years, isn't it also natural that opinions or change in a relationship either together or separately? 
you know, that is really interesting. Like, I think what is really ideal for me, uh, what I found um, got old uh, with my relationship with my um, ex-husband. I mean, we were, um, I think, at the 10th year of our marriage when, well, probably ninth or 8th uh, when things uh, started to go south. Um, it was a lack of effort of, um, you know, okay, just because we have kids doesn't mean that we don't go out on uh, date nights. Doesn't mean that, you know, you stop making things, you know, romantic or, you know, make eff efforts. Well, it, it was also on my part too. You know, just because uh, we have kids doesn't mean that I don't take care of myself, right? It was also that lack of self-care on my part that um, words in my relationship with myself and it's like you know I would look at myself and I was like oh I won't want to have sex with me why would he want to have sex with me <laughs> you know it's also that kind of you know like self-worth uh, issue that I had um, so I really don't think that um, you know uh, like expire date is necessary it depends on the kind of work that you put in maintaining the romance and the spark in the relationship Janessa. Well, I tend to lean with what Jenny said as well with the expiration date. I think that only the two people in the relationship can explore or determine that. And while there are things that are saying this relationship is under strain, that doesn't mean that either one of them are ready to give up on it. Um, so that's my thought. So if we surmise all of this, what we've talked about here, very shortly... Uh, first of all, sit down and have a honest and straightforward conversation with your wife, because you what if we what if there's anything we've learned I've learned from this podcast is that if you have that conversation, you have to be honest, not in an evil way or a malicious way or anything. Be honest and tell the truth how you feel, how you're perceiving the situation. And then let her know that she is in her full right to do the same without judgment, without anything. And don't cut anyone off. Don't speak over each other's voice because that can be annoying. Be honest. Give yourself 15 minutes to explain where you are in this relationship right now, where you think it's going and what needs to happen to fix. Give yourself 15 minutes to do that. If you can't sit and talk about it, maybe try and write a letter to each other. I know it's very old school, but it's kind of nice to have something on paper. But that might be a way for you guys to reinitiate, okay, this is where we stand separately. How do we get that back together in a way? Or is it even possible to salvage this uh, relationship? There's possibilities in, anything, in everything, but it takes work and it takes honesty. And honesty is one of the hardest things in the world. Like even the most honest person has a hard time being honest about being honest. Uh, and you might not like what you hear from your partner and she might not like what, you, what you're saying. But just remember to be uh, honest enough to let her know that's where you're staying right now. And be open and, to let go of the past, right? Because even with exactly. honesty, we're looking at some of their uh, situations came from a place of honesty where 
she admitted that having sex was revolting and he was honest about her weight and health. But you have to come to those conversations also being unwilling to take on any wounding for someone else's opinion. It's just an opinion. And even if it's your partner, they're entitled to their opinion too. But your whole identity and self-worth doesn't need to revolve around that. And if you're going to continue to carry around these, you know, heavy bags from the things that happened in the past or go into a conversation thinking that honesty is going to cause me more hurt and wounding, then it's going to be harder to have those honest conversations. And it's going to be incredibly challenging to move forward together without making amends and forgiving. And I also think the benefits of, um, I, I'm a huge proponent of therapy at all levels, but um, I think in these cases with couples therapy, um, having that person so that, that the conversation doesn't turn into attacks or just talking over each other or anything like that. I think having that person, um, especially a professional, really does help have those conversations. Um, and I think we tend to think a lot of couples therapy as like, that's a sign of it it's really bad. And yeah, a lot of people, you know, myself included, I think went to couples therapy because there was an issue that was causing problems in their relationship. Um, but we continue to do that because it, you know, life has like curveballs it throws at you and all of a sudden things are good. And then, you know, they're maybe not as great that one day. And so having that time set aside to say, we're really going to work on this and we're really going to commit to this relationship, I think is really important. Uh, yeah, it sounds like he has a lot to do right now. It sounds like he really needs to figure this out um, in some way with his wife. I think we'll leave it at that and let him have at it and see if he can use any of what the panel has said as guidance and hopefully an opportunity to start a conversation with his wife about this relationship. So it's maybe able to be salvaged instead of letting go. So we'll take a short break and then we'll be back with dilemma number two. Okay, guys, we've had a small mental break, and we'll just jump into this where the title is. Last night, I saw a side of my husband and my in-laws that has left me questioning my marriage. So, I've been married to my husband for almost eight years. Uh, we have two kids together, a six-month-old son and a five-year-old daughter. I've always been close with my family and they treated me very well from the start. Um, sorry, his family. Uh, I've been 
exceptionally close with his little sister. Uh, I always wanted a sister growing up, and I feel like I achieved that when I met my sister-in-law. She has always been there uh, when we needed her, and she's an amazing aunt to our kids. My sister-in-law was never in a serious relationship in high school or college. Our family joked that she was going to end up a crazy cat lady. When my sister-in-law told everyone that she has been seeing someone for about six months and she wanted all us all to meet them, we were all very uh, excited for her. My mother-in-law and father-in-law made a very nice dinner for her uh, and her uh, significant other and invited my husband and I over to meet them. When my sister-in-law arrived with another woman, the room went quiet. She introduced this woman as her girlfriend, and I gave them both a hug and told her girlfriend, uh, her girlfriend how happy I, uh, I was to meet her. I was confused to why no one else was getting up to greet them until my mother-in-law opened her mouth. My mother-in-law asked my sister-in-law what this means. My sister-in-law responded and told them that she's a lesbian. She explained that uh, she was scared to come out because she didn't know how they would react, but she's in a very happy relationship and she didn't want to hide it anymore. I told her that I was proud of her and that I was happy that she's happy. My mother-in-law responded that uh, to me before my sister-in-law got a chance. Uh, she asked me uh, what there was to be proud of. She then started going on a homophobic religious rant uh, and my father-in-law agreed with her. I looked to my husband expecting him to say something, but... He sat there in silence. My mother-in-law and father-in-law started shouting at my sister-in-law, tearing her apart in front of her girlfriend. My sister-in-law starting to having an anxiety attack, and she kept repeating that she couldn't handle this. Still, her parents didn't stop. Her girlfriend immediately reacted by taking her outside. I told my husband uh, to get the kids in the car. He put up a fight, but eventually he did uh, what I asked. While he was putting the kids in the car, I took this as an opportunity to talk to my sister-in-law and her girlfriend away uh, uh, from the other family. We had a heartfelt conversation, and I wanted to make sure uh, they knew that they could talk to me if they need someone. On the drive home, I asked my husband why he didn't say anything to his parents when they were acting this way to his sister. His response? That his sister shouldn't have showed up with a girl without telling his parents first. He says that no one knew she was gay, and that was uh, an appropriate reaction to have when you feel blindsided. I felt sick. I have a gay brother. 
My husband and his family have met my brother on many occasions. None of them have ever made a comment about sexuality, nor have they ever made a homophobic comment around me. I bring this up to my husband, and he says that it's different when it's your own blood. I asked him if he would be okay with one of our kids being gay, and he just shrugged his shoulder. I tried talking to him more, but he told me that he was done talking about this with me. We haven't spoken much since this happened. I feel like I've been punched in the guts. I can't stop thinking about everything, and I need some advice. I would ask my brother, but I don't want him to feel unsafe around my husband's family. I feel completely lost and, in my husband's words, blindsided. Janessa. In laws, opinion. This is a, you know, complicated situation. And I feel a lot of empathy for everyone involved. Um, The courage that it would have taken the sister to finally share her reality with the family only to get that kind of reaction. And for the people there seeing and experiencing the reaction, the trauma that it causes for them and this, you know, loved one having rejection. And so the... There's something to be said for the trauma in general, because it doesn't allow us to access all of our brain, literally, like we're not going to be able to logic and rationalize. And so one of the initial things for everyone may be this cooling off period. And while maybe that feels uncomfortable for some, it may be really beneficial to allow everyone to process what they went through, how they feel about it and gain some of their own clarity. (laughs) Went through a lot of trauma last year, and I can say without processing the trauma, if I had tried to work through that situation from that state of being blindsided as well, very blindsided with our circumstances repeatedly time after time, that blindsiding alone leaves a really big imprint. So first of all, and dealing with the the energetic traumatization of the situation before you really try to get into sorting out the family dynamics. And every family, they do have their own dynamics. And I think this opens up a really great topic for the husband and wife to sort out what does it look like co-parenting and raising children if they are bisexual homosexual like some whatever orientation they have what does that look like and can we meet on the same page and then also i feel as though the expectations releasing the expectations so there was an expectation for the husband to have stepped in and when we set expectations for people we are very often disappointed and so really coming into a state of compassion and understanding for the fact that the husband was in this situation equally as blindsided as everyone else. And maybe his trauma response was to shut down. And judging that as a wrong response or a response that isn't suitable for your own beliefs 
is going to sell the relationship short. Michelle. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this, this this thing is not only like destroying their family, it seems like it's also going to destroy the husband's family uh, because apparently this has really uh, I keep I keep hearing the um, it's a different thing when it's your own blood and you can't say that to someone who actually has a has blood right right my brother right. that is gay like that's the dumbest argument ever in my opinion but it, but it I get, kind of I get some of the nuances of what he's trying to say I don't think he said it well um, and I think that's partially I mean I think Janessa's point about trauma and surprise and blindsiding is all like you know one hundred and ten percent correct right so. Um, you know, I get it, right? And in, in, in much the same way that everyone was sort of taken aback, um, kudos to whoever wrote in um, who who did the the thing that we should all do, right? Um, that we all want to do in that relationship, in that situation is just sort of not even, you know, not even think it's weird, not even think anything of it and immediately, you know, welcome this new person into the home. And it sounds like it's serious enough at this point and to, you know, possibly into the family. Um, that's what we want everybody to do, but that doesn't always happen. Um, and so I think, you know, there's a couple of things. I think it's, yeah, acknowledging that, you know, your husband was also taken aback. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that he has the really strong feelings that um, his parents seem to have, or that it's really problematic for, you know, sort of like, is this the person I want to be with in terms of core values. Um, I don't think it's necessarily that extreme, um, but I think that it is something to really discuss and come to and explain that um, there is a lot of pain that's caused. I mean, she has a brother who's gay. Um, immediately, I was thinking of those of that five-year-old who is sitting there and heard all of this, right? And so I think there needs to be a conversation with both parents um, with um, the five-year-old is a girl, I think, um, but with her and saying, you know, this is okay. And this doesn't mean that, you know, uncle, whoever is doing anything wrong. This was a surprising situation. You know, grandma and grandpa didn't handle it the best way that they could. And it's not the way that we want you to handle it um, because that's really confusing for a kid. And at five, I mean, she she's starting to understand all of this if she doesn't already completely understand this. Um, and so that's really you know, I think there's a lot there that needs to do it. And sometimes, um, you know, I think as parents, we have to play the, like, we're parents first in some ways, um, because I'm just thinking, you know, what a confusing place for a five-year-old to be in is to, you know, not really understand why everyone is seemingly screaming. And, um, you know, she's seen her aunt having a panic attack, which can't be, um, you know, is, is scary. And so I think that's also something that, you know, even if, they can't figure out, I think their first duty is to figure out how they're going to be parents together and explain this to their child. Um, first to do the impact of what she saw, but also then going forward is how are we going to rationalize this? Because this is going to be part of our child's lives. And so I think that's one of their first things that they really do need to do is that even if they can't get it on board with some of the conflict between the two of them is really trying to present a united front um, and explain things to their daughter. Uh, Jenny, sorry about that. 
uh, <laughs> it seems like um, that her husband and her need to have a conversation where they stand on this, uh, not about the brother, her brother, but about her uh, her sister in law. Because I, I I do get the surprise because again, you're kind of dropping a bomb without a small hint of oh we have a bomb with us uh, warning. Uh, but they have to figure out first where they're at and then figure it out with the grandparents. At least help them put in uh, some, let's just say, correct words instead of going on a rant in front of the sister-in-law. Might that help the things that they're experiencing? It might. Talking... Um, and kind of expressing each other's um, interpretation of the situation always helps, right? Uh, regarding that, I could also probably share that I grew up with a very conservative Chinese family where they have, well, probably worse opinions of people who are homosexual or people who are of a uh, uh, different skin color, <laughs> Um, but I think here, uh, it's good to put into consideration of, um, the previous generation when they've been conditioned, right, by certain belief for 50, 60, 70 years, and they have certain expectations. I mean, of course, now we're at a different age and maybe some of us have never been exposed to um, what we now label as bigot, right? As bigotry or racist or, um, you know, all that kind of boxing. Um, but I think it's also, um, it also helps you to come uh, to that understanding, to be compassionate that um, it's, it's not cool uh, to be caged in that perception of, you know, labeling other people, boxing other people, and living in this, like, you know, little bubble of yours, right? But then um, that's who they are. Um, and so when something that's completely different, it's like, okay, I've lived in Minnesota for... 50 years and then you take me to Africa, that's going to be like a complete shock, right? Maybe they've never been exposed to that. That's a completely shock to their system. And I think it's good to just be compassionate about that. And um, uh, and honestly, you know, with me growing up, um, like, you know, being different, being a misfit and the community that I was growing up in, conservative, traditional, um, it was really hard for me to just be myself um, because there's always judgment and pressure of me not being like everyone else. But then I also see this, like, you know, now that I'm here at this point, looking back, I feel like I'm on the other side. Um, that point when I was exposing myself to be different, that was an opening for them, a ticket for them for a different understanding a ticket for them to an expansion of their world. Of course, there's going to always be a shock, right? Transition is never easy. But um, 
like for me in that situation, you know, I've learned to just surrender and uh, just see where this is going to take me um, because this is definitely um, an, evol- an evolution of um, an understanding, you know, a belief of the old ways. And I mean the parents at that point. And maybe the husband too, you know, and, and maybe um, it was not expected, right? But um, I'm just assuming because the husband is of a different generation, he's more used to it, that that doesn't mean that he won't come to the acceptance because by the end of the day, they're family. And um, I mean, I'm a spiritual person and I always believe that, like, you know, whoever is different in the family is um, a ticket um, to a bigger awareness for that family, for the other members of the family. Um, yeah, so that's how I see it. Now, sorry. If this were to happen to your family, uh, Mike, just I'm just asking for a quick answer. Would this leave you questioning your marriage if this were to happen to you? Um, so I am part of a very liberal in-law family. So I would just be like, who are you people? And what did you do with my in-laws? So um, I'm probably not the best person. Uh, but I will say one thing that I did want to comment on is, um, and and I've had this over time, is um, I come from a family that's very loud and very direct and very, uh, uh, like, we'll fight and openly scream at each other and do that and, and all that. And I married into a family that doesn't really like the confrontation and sort of is way more passive aggressive and it is frustrating for me sometimes not at this level of like you know a crisis but is frustrating to me sometimes because I know stuff is going on and I've heard stuff and they're not just like saying it to each other um and it took me a while of getting used to that um and there was a few times where I really felt like my husband should be speaking up but that's not how his family works and that's not going to be effective and he had to realize that for me, it was better to be confrontational in my family. So I think it's also just knowing those those nuances of each family. And it's really hard because none of our families are the same in our dynamics and they change over time. Um, but when you marry into a family that already has the dynamic, it's sometimes very hard to remind yourself that this isn't what your dynamic would be, um, either with your family of origin or with your your own family like that you're creating. Um, and that's, I think, really hard too. So I think it's important to also think of those kinds of things of, um, you know, why did he do that? Not only was his own trauma, but it could be that in his family, he knows that him speaking up and yelling was going to make things worse and that it was easier to just let them have their moment and then deal with it after the fact. Um, and I think that's really important too. Yeah, I um, have heard my mom making this comment um, so I used to live in Bangkok and I had, um, a, a neighbor, well, um, neighbors, uh, who were a gay couple and my mom made this comment, um, well, I can't imagine what it's like to be their parents. <laughs> um, and, uh, mom, right. But then, um, that night we're supposed to have dinner together. And so she got to spend time with them and actually, 
got to know them as humans. And that changed, well, I don't know if that changed her opinions or anything, but she seemed to be very comfortable in the situation. She was eating with them and just laughing with them. Um, and I think that did give her the perception, the change of perception at least, they're human. They're interacting just like everybody else. And whoever they're sleeping with is none of your business, <laughs> right? But at least, you know, at that point, I hope she gets to that understanding. Um, and I'm right now I'm also dating, uh, this man who used to be a conservative Catholic and his family is still pretty conservative. And, um, I, I can imagine like me, sometimes it would make comments. Um, but he also understands that I have, you know, all of these, um, friends who also identify as homosexuals, as gay, and they are just like everyone else and i think that is um what is missing because there is like this dehumanization of people who are labeled certain things um especially maybe by the you know the previous generation and what they really need is uh, more socialization <laughs> from my perspective get to know them as human you know um you know, just because um the politics said certain things about um people you know they're labeled this way it doesn't mean that it's true um you need to get to know them um so at least um but if it's your own family you know at least i know that my parents um they are very conservative but i also understand that acceptance at this point is probably better than losing a member of your family that would be so much more painful um and so you can maintain that relationship and um, start building that understanding, start building that relationship to a new level, you know, evolve your way of thinking. Then, um, I mean, so, you know, I'm not saying that everything will be better roses um, because growing there, you know, comes with its own pain and everything. But um, that's going to be a different level for, um, your the or the relationship in your you know between my family members um and yeah i'm hoping for the best for them yeah and i was just gonna say i just like quick piggyback on that i mean i think it's also from what i've understood from parents who have had their kids come out um both from people who have handled it extremely well to people who haven't is i think it's just the feeling of like what I thought my child's life was going to be is different. And so there is a little bit of mourning or just like a, a shock of what does this mean for my child going forward? And I think that recognizing that is that might be triggering a really bad, really, um, you know, um, reaction. And I think if, you know, they had the time to like process it, that that reaction might be completely different. But I think, you know, sort of that, you know, dropping the bomb in here just makes them think like, what does this mean for the future? And it feels very unstable. And when, when our future feels unstable, we don't react well. Um, and so that's also something too. Uh, Janessa, I didn't get your response. Uh, would this be a, a thing that would question your marriage if this was to happen in your family? It depends on the reaction of my partner. So I feel as though 
there, you know, we've talked about family dynamics and every family has its belief system and the way that it functions and interacts and their norms and standards, which can be so far outside of the in-law in this situation. Uh, so first and foremost, it depends upon what transpires between, you know, myself and my partner and our views and our beliefs and the respect and the way that we are going to treat people, love people. And can I accept and allow for him to be who he is? And if I can't, then I'm going to have to look at what are the options then? I don't believe that when we marry a person, we marry their whole family. Like the family definitely comes along with it. But relationships are the cleanest when it's between the two people. And it's not between two people plus, you know, 16 more people. And everyone gets an opinion. And then things get really, really, really messy. So might it change my boundaries with the the family? Maybe, yeah. Might it change how often I see them or what my interactions with them are like? Yeah, maybe. And is my partner an allowance of that for me to have a safe and comfortable relationship that I feel secure in with my partner's parents and family? If so, then we're probably going to be okay. But I don't think that this is, for as traumatizing as it was, like I said earlier, a situation to make draw a conclusion based upon a reaction how we react when we're blindsided when we're in shock is not usually (laughs) how we feel about something once we've had time to process through it and that's been stated by you know michelle and jenny as well so kind of beating a dead horse here (laughs) you're muted So sorry, I did it again. Um, so what what we can surmise here is basically uh, talk with your husband, figure out where where this his reaction came from, at least try and understand it, try and not judge based on that, and figure out where you stand on this together. Um, when it comes to the in laws, I kind of hear. A little about um, the shock to the system. And the first thing that popped into my head when you guys were talking about this was um, they probably thought they knew their child better. And that shock that, okay, this is not what we expected. This is not what we ever, like they have, like parents have certain expectations sometimes for the children, whether they like it or not. Um, this was probably not what they saw for the life of their child. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's bad, but they were very shocked about what they experienced. And in a way they they are allowed to be shocked. Their reaction though was not okay. Just to put at least it was not okay in any way. And you need before they talk to your sister-in-law that you definitely need to talk to them and learn them or at least talking about how they can communicate with your sister-in-law. If they can't do that, then that that is a problem between your sister-in-law and her parents. Don't be the middleman. 
that never turns out great. But be there for her when it comes. So we're going to take a break for a little while, and then we'll be back with the last dilemma. Okay, short break, and the title of The Last Dilemma is My Partner of Five Years and I Just Had Our First Real Fight in a While. Hmm. Normally our communication is very effortless, even over the hard stuff, but tonight I was defensive and I'm struggling to truly set aside my emotions to be more supportive. My partner brought up uh, the conversation of school shootings as one has happened close to home uh, as and the concern of sending her child to school next year and the unfortunate reality of taking uh, precautions due to so many mass shootings. I did not receive this information well and I got hung up uh, on the school shooting part as I feel very strongly about politics around guns, mental health issues, shooters, and I just and it just continues to spiral downward. So I got quiet during the conversation and shut down because I was uh, at a loss for words as my brain continued to crash into loss of hope per se. She became aware of uh, the change of my tone and asked about it. When I finally expressed to her what I was working through, uh, she expressed to me that she's afraid to say anything to me about her reality she's uh, actively living in and then uh, was joined with things she's been holding in uh, since last week. For context, last week she was sick and depressed. I, as I, as well, uh, dipped into a depression due to my uh, period of exhaustion after having made a turn and burn trip to show up and support her. Seven and a half hour drive, Friday evening, and seven and a half hour uh, hours back Sunday. To turn around and jump back in uh, into work at 6 a.m. Monday morning uh, after getting back around 2 a.m. She expressed to me that last week she had consistently put her emotions aside uh, to be uh, to be there for me and when she would drop hints uh, as to show or as to how she was doing I neglected to be there for her. 
that I didn't hope for her to get uh, that I didn't hope for her to get better only when she asked me to tell her uh, I hope she feels better she expressed to me just as I wasn't there for her last week I am neglecting to be there for her tonight because I got defensive I got defensive when she told me that she was afraid to talk to me when it came to the school shootings I had a lot uh, I had a lot come up and wasn't uh, prepared uh, for the heaviness of the conversation uh, which I then expressed uh, uh, to her um, and how to navigate the conversation with all the emotions that uh, were arising surrounding the content of the topic which for more context uh, we normally ask each other um, if we have space for a heavy conversation to get into a mental space we need to for whatever uh, said is said in that conversation about it um, but this time that wasn't the case and I generally was caught off guard and my brain honestly was having problem processing this I don't know um, that maybe neither her nor the uh, neither her or nor there uh, I got defensive when she brought it up uh, tiptoeing around emotions last week after both uh, being in our individual uh, therapy journeys we both have learned that not saying what we need to uh, to as a way to manage uh, others emotion isn't healthy and so I got defensive because even though we were both struggling last week she didn't attempt to have any real conversations uh, with me over what she was going through other than being sick and moody but I didn't ask her to put her emotions aside to be there for me uh, and I feel as if I should be more grateful for the gesture but honestly I'm not and I feel as if she didn't trust me enough to communicate uh, trust with me uh, which is uh, out of the norm for us because we, we openly communicate so well. Then the conversation came back to the reality of school shootings so close to home and I once uh, was defensive again because uh, we just brought up all this this stuff last from last week and everything just seemed to blur together in the moment. And she told me I wasn't hearing what she was saying or being there for her again but we had just spent 15 minutes arguing and I heard everything she needed support last week I didn't offer it because I was too focused on myself she needed support for the reality of school shootings and I didn't offer it because I had big feelings coming up and um, and up and couldn't just be there for her this fight is definitely out of the norm for us, as we generally do well uh, with communicating over difficult matters without either of us being defensive, but this time wasn't like that. And I'm really struggling to set aside my emotions to see where I need to hold myself accountable and how to show up better tomorrow. 
because I really just want to keep shutting uh, down now and put up walls. I'd normally save this for a therapist, but I can't afford uh, another session after just having one this week. So, any advice? Jenny. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. That that state really reminded me of when I was super exhausted um, and I was so snappy. Um, that was a time when... Um, yeah, probably uh, a few months after um, me having a child um, and I wasn't um, really, um, yeah, and, you know, everything was just, like, um, tiring, right? But then, like, there's also other things that made me really unhappy. You know, it was probably my uh, relationship with my ex-husband that time that was um, not going very well and I was and happy uh, living in, you know, the small town after moving out from a college town in the Midwest. Uh, and that was like, you know, and so around that time, it was um, election. It was 2016. Uh, and there was other issues, too. And I remember just being snappy at every political event. Um, and so right now, if I was to think about um, my reaction back then, you know, like being mad at, uh, okay, school shooting, being mad at the election result, being mad at whatever a politician said. That was just me airing my frustration about something else within me. So not, not that I'm saying, you know, that that's reality for his partner, but, um, there's definitely, um, lack of communication here. There is, um, a part of her that is not expressed properly. And I mean, okay. So if I was to be mad at my partner about the election result, about the school shooting, about, you know, whatever sexist thing that some politicians said, what could my partner say about that? Right. I think that's also something that I uh, need to um, take into consideration. Um, okay. Uh, so I was really mad. I was really, you know, like I was throwing his fit about that. Um, okay. Do I do, uh, and I was being toxic about that. Do I want my partner to join me in that toxicity, in that anger, you know, in, in all that, um, rage? You know, um, I guess right now, I could see that it will make sense. But what I feel now back then, what I should have, what I could have done was really um, looking inward. What is really I'm unhappy about that I am using all these political events as an outlet to air my frustration? Because maybe it's not about the school shooting. You know, maybe it's something else that's going on. Um, and so that's uh, what I have in mind. Janessa, it seems like yeah, uh, there's a lot of, like everything seems to be on, on like completely streamlined. And this little bump here with the communication mismatching 
maybe it's because she's tired because she had to do a seven and a half drive, seven and a half hour drive one day and then a seven and a half hour uh, uh, ride back. And in that short period of time, you have to be peppy and uh, receive every kind of information and cope with it and then figure out a very, very articulate answer to that question that she's answering. But couldn't it be that maybe a solution here is that they should try and get closer to each other time-wise so she doesn't have to do seven and a half hours every weekend or or her partner has to do seven and a half hours with a child. That could be one solution maybe on the surface. Um is it a dating situation that they're traveling to to see each other? Uh, yes. So, as I understand, they have been together for five years. Five years. Yeah, and right now, uh, they have been doing a long distance uh, relationship for the last two years. Okay, I missed that part when the the traveling. I wasn't sure. I had, you know, we fill in the story with our own biases. So I thought that they were living together and then had a trip. So thank you for that clarification. Um, that changes a little bit of what I was thinking. But, you know, it's said that when couples don't have arguments, it's not healthy either. And that was the first thing that came to mind in hearing them say that generally they don't fight and they talk about things really well, even if they're more triggering or intense conversations. And then there was also something mentioned about saying what the other person wanted to hear for the sake of coping with or not having to cope with the emotions that may come. And so it really makes me question how much honesty is there in these conversations that go really well, because are they just mitigating the emotions so that they don't have to get into it. And that would be something really to look at is, you know, communication is so big in relationships. So that uh, comes to mind and exploring also uh, personalities. I am, a, I use the Enneagram within my coaching for relationships and it's made the biggest difference in the life of all of my relationships just from learning the personality types alone. And there are people that are programmed that they think giving the answer that someone else wants is the best way of connecting with other people. It doesn't come from a deceitful or um, harmful place, but it also doesn't build rapport if you feel like someone's lying to you all the time. And then there's another personality structure that just avoids conflict uh, at all costs. And so learning the dynamics specifically of the individual that you're with can be really helpful to help how these conversations go as well as the emotions in expecting an emotional response not expecting an emotional response jenny i think hit the nail on the head with looking within what is really truly the bigger deeper thing being triggered and then setting those healthy boundaries, um, saying no and having space in your relationship that if they can't make that drive or they can't show up, show up that's okay. Because um, it really sounded like in the beginning from the picture that was painted by my brain that they both, both of their cups were empty. 
and yet they were still trying to give to one another. Um, but perhaps we're overgiving. So maybe shoring up some of the boundaries around what they really truly have to offer one another. And if they've had a hard week, a busy week, whatever, allowing some grace when it is needed. Michelle, it seems like there's a, how can I say this? There's a lot of love. As, as Janessa said, there's maybe an oversharing of emotion. Uh, I've never experienced that myself, so I can't talk to it. But I've, 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 I've always met with undersharing of emotion. Uh, but um, this oversharing of emotion, is that what's taking away like what the really hard conversations should be about? Right. You know, I think what I was struck by was the way in which they described the conversation, right? School shootings, like that's a huge issue. Everyone has an opinion. There's a lot to it. And so I do think like them talking about that they have the, do you have the the space, the, you know, energy for this conversation? I think that's a great technique to keep using. But what struck me is it sounded like she's just coming from being a parent and how do I navigate this? And so I think when she's bringing this up, I think it's not about the, the gravity of the whole big picture of school shootings. It's just like, how am I protecting my child? And so I think that's one thing where I think to me, I felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect of, you know, a parent coming at it one way. Um, and then I think somebody else looking at it as like the big picture of like, okay, then how do we do is it all hope lost all of that. Um, and I think any parent who has had to, you know, just had a moment has to think about this and it's really scary. Um, and, you know, I think that that's recognizing that is, is probably the most important thing and to sort of, you know, kind of put those things on, um, you know, to be aware of those things. And I think on her perspective, to be aware of like, listen, I don't want to get into the whole big long conversation about the bigger picture. Um, I'm just concerned as a mom and doing that. Um, in terms of keep like sort of keeping things from each other, you know, I will say, I think that's something my husband and I have struggled with, um, in grieving. Right. Um, so, you know, we each have lost a child, but we look at it from different perspectives and, um, and I think that it's a lot of, there are a lot of times where we will hold back because of the other person. We think like, oh, the other person can't handle my stuff too. Um, and it sounds like there's some of the similarity of depression and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I think, you know, it's really designating, like, you know, I just need to, to talk to you about this one thing right now. Um, and having those kinds of check-ins and, you know, those moments um, and figuring out what they need from each other. You know, I know my husband is like the eternal optimist. And so, you know, when we were doing with infertility and our miscarriage and, and all of that, he would always be very perky, like, we'll be parents, I promise. And, you know, and he'll still do those kinds of things. And finally, somewhere along the way, I had to come up with like a, I said a phrase like, can we just sit in the shitty for a minute? Like, just, just sit here and just say it sucks and, and really be that, you know, together, united front on that and then go forward. And I think those are really important key things to have. Um, if you're both going through things, uh, to have those things so you're not holding back. 
I can definitely agree on what you just said about having, can we agree on just giving it five, ten minutes? Right. <laughs> and be honest to who we are that a situation is either foobar or snafu or just sucks in general matter and just letting that go. Uh, my experience comes from uh, being in the military. And as often any military plan, if you're lucky, 60% of that plan is going to hold up. The rest of it's going to go up in, yeah. And you have to figure it out and wing it um, the best you can. But being honest about it, saying this sucks, this is a really shitty situation to be in. Or in this manner, I feel depressed and I'm not happy. It's definitely a better way in then going into all the Emotional stuff is something I would build on afterwards if I were to come with a statement. I feel really depressed, and here is why. And I and you can express a lot of emotions because emotions. I had last podcast we had we had someone talk about emotion that we basically only have like seven emotions that we usually draw to because that's the basic emotional parameters uh, we we ha we have, but in reality there's much more complicated emotions. We don't know how to articulate those emotions. And I've never actually thought about that until one of my guests actually put me in that direction. I'm like, huh, kind of a thing here. Maybe that'd be worth exploring. Would that be something they would might need to explore that there is some untapped emotions that they might need to put a word on? It's not happy. It's not angry. It's something more complicated than that. Because, again, I hear the mother saying the school shootings worry me. Uh, last week, we just had a shooting in Texas. So I can definitely relate to her uh, worries about about a new school shooting, especially if, if some, something's happened in the area. But might it be there is some emotions that they need to put words on that they don't have a word for as of yet? Well, I'll also jump in here because it sounds like I'm the feeler in the group. So I will feel a lot of emotions when things that I'm passionate about or hard things happen or traumas happen or whatever's going on. I become engulfed in emotions and I have to get through my feels before I can go back into my head and be able to discuss something logically and rationally. And take all considerations of all angles, hear what my partner's saying or whoever it is, any conversation with another human, and think about it. Like my emotions, my heart center, like all the things that I'm feeling will just like <laughs> cut me off from my head and this does not work. That's one of the things that my partner and I had to come to understand is we have to acknowledge how I feel. And then give me, if it's five minutes, it's five minutes. If it's a day, if it's something really big, it's a day. Like whatever time I need to get to that place where I'm like, okay, I can consider solutions. Because he'll have all the solutions. But when I'm feeling, even if the solutions are really relevant, my like my mind can't even go there. So simply reflecting back in this situation in the very beginning, like, I hear that you're upset. I see that this is really hard for you. Like acknowledging what the person is feeling within the relationship is going to help them navigate that as well. 
And it's more important to care about the person that you're with and what they're experiencing in that moment than to be right about whatever you're trying to talk about. Agreed. Agreed. Completely. I did it again. Sorry. <laughs> uh, for anyone out there, I keep muting my microphone and to keep forgetting unmuting it. So that's why I keep saying I did it again. Uh, what I'm hearing you say is basically uh, acknowledge your flaws. Like I didn't listen. I didn't see. I didn't hear it. And then uh, I, when you acknowledge that, basically build on that. Right now I'm here. I'm present. I want to talk about it right now. Let's yeah, have I a think, conversation. I think from where they're at right now, that's great. And then in the future, yeah. to avoid the heartache of getting into the argument when someone is emotional, acknowledge their emotions uh. and put the rest on pause until they're centered again, until they're okay. Because if we're emotionally right. charged, we're clearly not okay. We're emotionally imbalanced at that moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the human experience. Like the... In the personal development field, one of the issues I have is like such a focus on good vibes only. We want to have good vibes only, but let's live in the real world where it doesn't right. like that. Like we right. have also grief and sadness and ache and and injustice and like so many things that happen in the world. And if we just live in our good vibes, we're really denying reality. And school shootings is a part of those hardships. And yes, that's going to stir feelings. So let's start with the feelings and then allow the thinking to come when you both can have that rational conversation. Right. I think it would also be fair to say, like, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like um, this is her child. He doesn't have children. I may be reading into this and filling in the gaps, but she, um, she, it's a lesbian couple. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, I didn't. Okay. okay. See, I, I filled always... in gaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I always I always leave out information until yeah. someone no, no, asks no problem. or, but or it, then I correct. But I think like, yeah. you know, one one person, it sounds like, doesn't have children. And so I think, you know, saying something to the fact of like, I don't know what it's like to have to have a child, to be parenting a child in this craziness. Like I I just I don't even know what it is. And I think that that's really huge to just admit that. And, you know, to say, if, if you can try to explain it to me, I would love to hear it. Um, but, you know, I'm going to try to remind myself um, that, you know, this is not something that I know and I'm familiar with. And I'm going to try to recognize that as well, because I think that's really important to realize, you know, this is an experience that um, one person has doesn't really have any familiarity with. And so what, um, you know, what does that look like? And what does that mean? And so I think that's really important too. I will definitely agree with what you're saying here because, again, I have a two and a half year old and a half year old. I never understood having kids until uh-huh. having them. Well, right. I thought I understood it, but I you don't. thought he did and you don't. Yeah, until and you... Then, you, then you have them and then right, completely different ballgame. Right. Uh, then you imagined and, and um, I, I can understand what you're saying completely that one thing is to be near it sometimes. One thing is to having it every day, which right. you can see um, that she doesn't know. So maybe uh-huh. that needs to be explained as well in a, in a way. But I would just like to say uh, thank you to everyone 
that was on the panel. I think you guys did a really good job. Uh, some of the questions here were a little deeper. Some were not. Uh, but if any of you that are listening, remember to subscribe, like, and if you want to be in contact with Janessa, Michelle, or Jenny, because they said some very interesting thing and you want to have a conversation with them, there are links in the description for their webpage, for their Instagram or Facebook or whatever they have in social media, and you can contact them through that. Um, and to anyone out there, if you feel that you have a dilemma that you are either burning in with, that you can't talk to anyone about, and you want some advice or an opinion, feel free to email uh, the podcast. The email is in the description. And have a wonderful weekend, or no, I was going to say weekend, week. Uh, and remember to do one thing for me and for everyone else out there. Remember to give anyone a smile a day that helps them being fresh and and collected. And remember to do a small good thing without risk, without expecting to get anything from it. Because that's what keeps humanity going. So with that, have a great week. I'll see you in 14 days.